0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Christian Reeve podcast. Today's guest is Emma Hirsch. She is the CEO and founder of Gig Leads, which is a new company that's been running for about two months now. And uh, this is a first for me in many different ways because it's the first time I've had someone sort of in the business world. First time I've had a business leader of some description, <laughs> and uh, first time I've I've kind of had like a company on the show and I do want to kind of just say straight off right off the bat before um, we get into this uh, interview today that this isn't like a sponsorship this isn't like an ad or something Um, obviously Emma reached out to me when I was looking for guests and I thought this would be a unique challenge um, in many different ways because um, it's not just going to be showcasing the business but it'll also be actually finding out more about Emma and um, hopefully for, for people that are interested in this business and, and this idea it will kind of give you a bit more than but then just like, you know, like, for instance, if we just did the podcast on the business, I'm not sure that that would necessarily have the same level of interest as if, you know, you're finding out the person behind the business, because especially with startups, I feel that, you know, when you know that it's kind of by a person who's more relatable, it kind of makes that business more no one i guess yeah relatable in in many ways but um anyways welcome to the show emma how you doing thank
1: you i'm doing great thanks for having me on Christian. it's great to be here
0: no no it's it's a pleasure thanks thanks for reaching out um obviously this is your first time doing a podcast so it's a first for you too
1: um
0: uh, there's different ways i could jump into this but i think the first thing i want to do is is just jump into your background so a lot of this information i found from linkedin so thank god for linkedin (laughs) It says here that you had a 17-year career in business management, specifically within the logistics and supply chain industry. So, um, just briefly talk to me about, you know, how you got into that. Like, I know that you did a degree which kind of set you up to that, but what what kind of made you decide that you wanted to go and follow that route for for many years? Um,
1: pure chance, actually. Um, it was not. I'd moved from the UK, um, as I'm sure you kind of got that from my LinkedIn, and, and ended up sort of emigrating out to America and that was back in 2001. Mm-hmm. and I, you know, I really didn't kind of go the typical route that most people go, and just, you know, I, I, I started off at the bottom. I started off in, you know, dispatch, and, uh, you know, worked my way up into a supervisory path, and then into management from there, but yeah, ended up with quite a an extensive career there, with, uh, with business management, and logistics, and did a lot, a lot of traveling um, all up and down America, so it, in some ways, I don't even know if it was a choice to get into that Industry, but it was just I had an opportunity. Um, I got into it, and uh, you know the career path just took off from there.
0: And um, was it was it a case of just kind of like seeing how far it would go, or I mean, because obviously you said that you're taking opportunities here and there. So was yeah. it oh hey this is great, you know I get to travel around the world, and that's kind of the thing that pulls you. Or I guess I guess what my question is is like what was the the main thing that was kind of keeping you going and and kind of i guess pushing you to keep following that route for so many years
1: i think uh i think with most things you kind of you you get on a a path or on a trajectory there um uh, and i think most people like to probably challenge themselves a little bit Mm -hmm. um you know once you're sort of in that management mode and you you know you go from a supervisor to an ops manager from an ops manager to a, a gm you know the path just keeps going so i think uh, most people probably just like to challenge themselves and to see you know that's your career you want to see how far how far you can take it and in some ways I started quite late because I, I lived in the UK until being about 29 and then oh, oh, right. I moved to okay. the States so yeah kind of given my age away there terribly but
0: <laughs> no, no that's it that's interesting to me I mean because I feel I feel like you know that okay since you come from like an older generation, I'm not trying to be rude. though, I'm just saying, you know, it's 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 different in the sense <laughs> that, like, okay, like many years ago, you know, it would be, and I'm I'm talking many many years ago, but it would be mm-hmm. like you know, a job was for life or, or for right. a period and stuff. I think right? I
1: was probably the first generation that got away from that. You know, right. I mean, that was yeah, like yeah, my- yeah. My parents' generation was very much, I mean, to put it in perspective, and this, this is really showing my age now, um, back in the UK, when you went through the education system, I was the first year of people, the batch of people that did the GCSE.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Exam. Uh, when they switched over from the old O-levels to that. Right. Yeah. So that was, that was a whole mess because nobody knew what they were doing. But, uh, you know, it was, it was very much sort of, yeah, you were in the mode of your parents were saying, you know, you get a job, you, you know, stay in a job. Mm. Mm -hmm. um you know try and keep in that job buy a house stay in that house and of course things just don't move like that now and then things shifted from that i think very much you know i saw in my generation yeah
0: well the one thing i've noticed as well just just on 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 this topic like that perception that you know you should stay in a job and you know if if you don't then that kind of represents maybe a lack of loyalty or maybe a lack of motivation or whatever you know it it now has kind of flipped in the sense that if you spend too long in a company, sometimes the perception can be, Oh, well this person just lacks ambition. They lack drive. They just want to have a comfortable life, so to speak. But I don't know for me personally, every corporate company that I've worked for, and to some extent also, you know, in, in, in customer services and and so on, like there seems to be this thing of, you know, you only really stay in a, a position for probably, a maximum of two years maybe a bit longer if you're following the managerial route but usually it can,
1: about four in that realm yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah. There, there seems to be like this cut-off point and it really does depend on your strategy but a lot of the time once you've kind of got what you need you know you just go to the next company and no one really has that perception of oh well you know what about loyalty what about this what about that mm-hmm. it's like it kind of just understood that that's just how Uh, I guess the job market works now, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. You know, it's, uh, you know, part of my role along the years was to do some recruitment and to, you know, look at CVs or resumes as they call them over there in the States. But, uh, and that was something that I would look out for. I mean, that was, at one time it used to be, if you'd been with a certain company for 15, 20 years, then, you know, you were, you were regarded as a, you know, loyal, dependable employee. uh, And even in my sort of tenure, I would look at it and go, why? Why have you been there so long? Why have you not sort of moved across? to you know, so it's quite a double-edged yeah. sword now. Yeah. So sort of, you know, it can benefit you more to move around every three to four years and gain a bit more of that experience. I think, you
0: know, I'm one of those people, like I, I just need to, for my own personal reasons, like I feel like it's important to keep moving and keep growing and learning and stuff. But like, I, I feel bad for people that just want to stick with a job because I get that sometimes, you know, you're just happy doing a certain thing for a certain company yeah. or, or, you know, whatever. Like I don't, I don't feel that that should be used against you. But yeah. I mean. I don't Know it's, it's so tricky it's, to know what to do, yeah.
1: It's very double sided, as you say. It's and, and I'm the same, it's not you know, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Some people, are quite yeah. comfortable, or you know, you, you've got a good career path with you know, said company, so you'll stay with it. Um, so I, I don't think it's necessarily a negative thing, but I think probably again, maybe a generational thing. You know, I had parents say, you know, you stay in the job, you work right, at yeah. Job. Everyone, you know, in the older generation, I knew had been, you know gone to a certain job from school, stayed in it till retirement. My generation, you know, you were sort of coming off the back of of the 80s when we had, you know, recessions and manufacturing companies were kind of going under or or changing more into um, automated processes and needing less staff. Um, And so I think it was a bit of a, it was kind of like a bit of a mad scramble every man or woman for herself because it was, you you couldn't be guaranteed that that job was going to last for that period of time or that company was going to last for that period of time
0: i mean it's a very good point especially in these days i was talking to someone the other day about this and he said you know with the way things move right now every five ten years or even less than that some jobs can exist for one minute and then a couple of years Mm -hmm. later they're just completely eradicated because there's no use for them yeah, you know, I right. remember there was one company that I was working for, where we basically what we were doing. Well, the company was trying to get all of its analytics done in such a way that you know you wouldn't need people kind of monitoring them. To to a certain right. extent, you just have the reports coming automatically mm-hmm. and yeah. i automatic. i sort of identified okay yeah. uh, my job in, in let's say six months won't exist like yeah. so i even yeah. need and to like and that's true you know
1: it's it, it's you know i think tech and advancement is a is a brilliant thing i mean I, I love progress but it does sort of leave some people behind i mean again double side you know two sides of the same coin it, it, you know processes change evolve um, there's a lesser need for people on one side but then it kind of opens up opportunity on on the opposite side of that you know
0: absolutely yeah um so well, yeah what prompted you to go freelance i mean obviously you had this long career you know, mm-hmm. some people might say oh you know you're comfortable you've got this you know you're high up in in you mm-hmm. know in the corporate ladder you know you've established yourself you've got a lot of respect and stuff you know you could probably yeah. go anywhere um why the decision to go freelance
1: um just uh, probably just a progression at that point i think you hit okay you hit a point in your career, I mean, I did, Uh, not for everybody, but I certainly did, where it was a case of, well, I've sort of done all this stuff, I've done, I did a a massive amount um, of traveling around uh, up and down the United States, mainly on the eastern side. Um, And then you kind of get to a point, you end up at this sort of crossroads at a certain point where you kind of go, I've done all this stuff and it's been great. I'm now, you know, hitting 40 as i was then okay and and you go so what now am i going to do this now until the very point that i retire or am i going to kind of do something different you know yeah and i respect me, that do something different you know yeah so that's, that's the same
0: mentality i have as well like i, I, I yeah. get i get that um oh, yeah. but like i i, I guess i want to probe you more on this because obviously freelance is one of those things that it's kind of a scary notion for anyone that hasn't done it before. Right. And uh, even me, you know, I'm kind of doing freelance right now just because I have to, it's not even a Mm -hmm. choice case. I can't find a full-time role, but because I've kind of proven myself over the years, um, I've got people that I'm working with, like clients that are basically either referred from someone I've worked with or, you know, through the network, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's funny to me because years ago I thought like, you know, it's probably inevitable I'm going to end up freelance. And here we are, right. you know, during a pandemic situation where things, the job market's all a bit right. crazy, can't find work, but freelance is an option. right And, um but for, I think, yeah, again, just bringing it back to the point, like for most people it's scary because it's like, you know, instead of having like a reliable wage and, you know, job duties and all of this stuff and and work given to you you're actively chasing you know project by project and nothing is ever sort of guaranteed that's not to say that you know in jobs it's completely secure but you know you you can't just kind of get like fired like straight away do you know what I mean whereas with a freelance project it ends that could be it <laughs> or someone gonna.
1: decides not to pay you that could be it you know that's that always... too yeah
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think um, every freelancer has probably run into that it did it, yeah it's and it is you're right as you say it's a very scary proposition when you start doing it so when I quit my career to go freelance I mean I think a lot of people have this impression of oh you had a good career so you know you had you had right. loads of money behind you so you were set you know and you know I'm not going to say that's untrue. I mean, I had a, a, some, you know, kind of cash behind me to get started because that's just, you know, just sensible, you know, you're going to do it. You can stockpile a little bit, but probably not as much as everybody thought, you know? So Mm. it is, you know, um, you know, If any of your your listeners and viewers, if you're involved in the freelance world and as as you found out yourself, it's, it's terrifying, you know, I mean, it can be really, really scary to not know where your next rent payment or mortgage payment is coming from. And, um, you know you have to think on your feet you have to be pretty agile and basically sometimes you have to pretty much do anything that's gonna you know provide a bit of cash at the end of the day you know. Um,
0: It, It kind of seems to me like that's where the market is headed because I see more and more freelancing opportunities more and more freelancers and also the nature of jobs like you know in during this whole pandemic while i've been applying for jobs as well i've noticed there's a lot of things that are like fixed term contracts you know six months right. a year something like yeah. that where it's kind of while it is full-time it is essentially saying yeah we only need you for this particular amount of yeah. time yeah. um and to me yeah that's that's freelance that's what it's all about really um so i feel like without kind of stating the obvious things are naturally changing and headed in that direction in the same way that you know remote working I've said this for years you don't need to be in an office for most of those jobs and it frustrates me that you know it's different if you work in like sales or something like that but when you work in like marketing or something you don't need to be there it's like you don't you
1: really
0: don't and and
1: you're right and I think maybe finally that's I'm sort of of the opinion that that's something that should have probably started moving and shifting a little bit earlier than it did. Yeah. Um, again, even in my career, I'd have people that work for me I'm like you don't need to be here. And you know, I, I think probably I was a little bit unique in that I would operate quite well on a results-based yeah. um, thing. You know, for my employees, rather than here, you have to be at your desk at this time. Punching a clock and staying there until you know, just because somebody's sitting at a desk from eight o'clock in the morning till five o'clock at night doesn't necessarily be you know mean that they're being productive in those hours. You know,
0: (laughs) it's really not. No, I mean, everyone's you know, you've got night hours, you've got people that come in Mm -hmm. in the morning. You know, for for me, it's always been that first block of let's say three to four hours. I get loads of work done then, and the rest of the day, yeah, it's just a bit like. Uh, this is a drag and like you, you try and motivate yourself but it's like I think we for instance this time me working at home and, and doing freelance stuff in the way I've been doing it you know sometimes I'll work intensively for like three hours then I won't do any work for the rest of the day return to it the next time at the, sa- at the same time probably get the whole thing done and for me it's like more motivational because it's like while there is like a deadline somewhere it's yeah. still not you I guess what I'm saying is you don't feel like this sense of guilt that you do when you're in an office and you know like, you're not being as productive as, as maybe you should be and like I'm, obviously there are people that are lazy and don't care and stuff but yeah. I think there are many of us that want to be productive but you you can't mm-hmm. sort of like force yourself to care do you know what I mean it's like mm-hmm. yeah I think I think it's the same as like when you're at school or university And I, I remember hearing this statistic that apparently you know you only have like 20 minutes of like core attention mm-hmm. where you're you're invested in it and then the rest of the time you know your mind just kind of wanders naturally that's
1: true. that's true yeah there's a lot of statistics that show if you have you know if you go to a meeting or a seminar you only actually retain i think it's seven minutes of the information oh my god or something like that. Yeah, it's ridiculous so yeah it's true what you're saying it's
0: yeah. i hate those and, so much <laughs> there's, so many, there's so many of those meetings where I'm like this could have been an email I mean oh, I spent
1: it? my life on conference call when I was in the kind of the corporate world I always have this this recollection that Thursday was my worst day because I spent five and a half hours on conference calls back oh my today. god yeah <laughs> and then you know you get people calling up screaming going what's happening with you know in Miami <laughs> I don't know I've been on the goddamn phone for like
0: I remember I, one manager I, I had actually uh, in one of my previous jobs she she had this problem like, I remember some days I would literally not see her the whole day cuz she was mm-hmm. only in meetings it was ridiculous yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I've done it I've lived that you know it's, it, it is and it's you know I got to the point where I think at one point I kind of called some people up or sent an email going guys really come on they were trying to hold a conference call about how to organize a time for our conference call oh and I'm God. like no I'm not doing it <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing it <laughs> so it can it just gets you know it's ridiculous it can just get kind of a little bit beyond a joke but uh, yeah but yeah to your point about productivity i think everybody kind of works at different levels and some people do good sort of you know doing that very sort of steady you know um work process throughout the day some do good kind of just really slamming it for like four or five hours yeah. and getting the way I'm, I'm one of those i'm better doing that you know <laughs> um, i think
0: well i think like as long as you You know, always hit the hit your deadlines as you said Mm -hmm. like you hit those those targets that you have numbers wise i don't think it really matters the time in which you do that because i mean you know i I used to know designers that would roll up to work you know pretty late in the day like 11 a.m but then Mm -hmm. they'd be there till later and then i I just understood that that was kind of their frame yeah yeah and
1: i think everyone's kind of got that somehow naturally within themselves um yeah, and I think the danger with freelancing is it can go the opposite way if you're not careful and you to, you've got this deadline looming and you're like, but it's a nice day today.
0: <laughs> but that's kind of the beauty of it and... though. Once, once you learn how to, to overcome, because I get that's that, true. you know, I'm, I'm not yeah. like, I, I often joke that I, I'm either super productive or super lazy, but I think right. that that's a nice balance because you, yes. you should have that because you, if you're working mm-hmm. too hard, your body will either just go, nope, or you'll get ill. <laughs> so yep, you've got to like true. that's true embrace it
1: <laughs> yeah and you know that stress management you know especially like if you've been in the corporate world
0: it's no, um I... you
1: need to manage that stress a little bit you know
0: <laughs> so what would you say are the key differences between standard jobs and freelance jobs
1: uh well the obvious you know the the, the pay kind of fluctuates a lot more um when you're freelancing but uh, i think just you know along the lines of what we were just talking about i mean that that kind of that freedom and that ability to sort of be able to direct, you know, kind of kind of carve your own destiny out almost, you know, because mm. I think if you're freelancing, you can you can make the choice to say, hey, you know, um, I really, you know, I don't want to be like the next CEO level. I want to just, I just want to kind of pay my rent and have a lot of free time. And I think being, that's the beauty of it, being able to, I think for me, being able to dictate your own work-life yeah. balance much more, I think is, is the real draw for me. Um, you know it's important to have your downtown it's important to have family time um and I, I just for me i feel that i get much more flexibility with kind of freelance world to be able to do that you know
0: yeah i agree i mean i remember a client of mine recently um cuz they they always ask me like oh c- can you give us like a, a rough idea of of how long this will take and mm-hmm. i i prefer to go by hour if it's a task like a let's say like editing and proofing because mm-hmm. I feel like I, I always work in the same manner and I'm very structured and organized with how I do right. it and let's say like because I was doing a website right and mm-hmm. it went exactly how I thought it would go where some pages would be like three minutes 20 minutes something like right. that and then other pages would be like two hours yes. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> it would be impossible to say this is how long it will take right um
1: I can fully sympathize with that because I did a little bit of of website. When I first started, you know, because you kind of do anything, you know, you dip your toe in everything when you first start freelancing. I did a little bit of, um, you know, marketing. I did a bit of SEO stuff. I did, you know, website building, the whole thing. And I always love the thing of, and if you've done some website design, you know this yourself, it's like you can suddenly get caught up and spend hours on sort of one element of a page. And then invariably the client would come back and go, could you just... (laughs) change that (laughs) you know that that was always the kiss of death it was could you just you know can you just change this i think when you're not in that world you don't understand there's a lot on the back end that goes into that (laughs) yeah
0: yeah, i agree because i remember when i started i'll just talk about this proofreading thing again because i learned a lot from like i've done obviously done proofing before but Mm -hmm. this particular time everything was really badly written like so badly written um and, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things sometimes when you're dealing with international clients, you know, if it's coming from one language to another, they've yeah. used Google Translate. But as we know, Google Translate is rubbish. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you just have to basically start from scratch. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time I would look at it and be like, OK, I've corrected it, but this is not the best way that this could be written. This right. is like, you know, it needs to be written. So I would invariably yeah. just, yeah, write Do it. Do a better. full
1: rewrite. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'd be yeah. like,
0: I mean this is taking longer, but it will be better quality. And that to me is kind of key in freelancing because you're always trying to build like a brand for yourself. You're trying to say like, right. this is me, this is the services I offer. And mm-hmm. it will always be like this level. Whereas yes. yeah, you get people, I've seen like a lot of people um, from certain countries around the world that do freelancing, but they're not paying as much attention to quality Mm -hmm. and so it's like the focus is on like the price like oh i'll do it for like two dollars or something and i mean Mm -hmm. you get what you pay for kind of thing
1: (laughs) you actually do i had a very good client for a while that did i did quite a bit of sort of proofing and editing for him and he's like can i can i send you these these files and these documents, because I've, I've had this stuff written, but he said, I, he had, you know, by his own admission said, I probably went a bit too cheap on it. And I think he'd got someone from, I don't know, like India or the Philippines or something to, to write, the, whose command of, you know, the native English wasn't where it mm. should be. And you, and you can tell when you read it, you can tell by the way the sentences are formulated and stuff. And and he knew, he was like, you know, I probably went a bit too cheap and yeah, you get what you pay for. Um, but that's that's the component that's um can be quite difficult to communicate to your clients i think that it's you know there is a value attached there to the money that you're charging is that you know
0: another important element to this as well which is really interesting is obviously google is always uh, becoming more aware becoming better understanding these things so if you take like Mm -hmm. seo that you've mentioned before Mm -hmm. when um you create bad content or poorly written content like google knows and actually, yeah. like drives your content further down the mm-hmm. SERPs. So that's uh, search engine results pages. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know, um, and I found that fascinating. I was like, "Wow!" Yeah. So Google knows if your content is trash. Like, yeah.
1: <laughs> what Google knows if you're <laughs> copying content. You know? <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, see, that's a tricky one, and I've explained that to clients as well. Sometimes yeah. that um, even if you're not copying people, like a lot of the time, if you're like writing an article or a guest post article. Ooh, sorry I do apologize for that that's never happened before <laughs> no
1: <laughs> hey I'm just lucky no that's fine actually I'm I'm sat here at home and I have a dog so I'm just like praying that she's gonna keep quiet through this whole
0: call you know I gotta really apologize to everyone on that that's really unprofessional <laughs> I do apologize that's never happened before and like that was actually a family member as well so I feel bad about that though <laughs> sorry anyway um god that's that's thrown me completely um God, what was i saying i can't even remember
1: now. <laughs> we were talking about the quality of um freelance work and the you know people don't always understand that there's a the, the monetary value does the monetary price does actually reflect quality in a lot of times think that's quite difficult to get across to to clients potentially um yeah i mean you know money money of course is always a factor and especially if you're a small business you know the you're Budgetary restrictions can be difficult, but at the same time, uh, I don't know. I don't know what you charge for your proofreading, editing, or you know, writing. But I, I see these ads where people like, you know, I need ten thousand words written, and I am willing to pay like a penny a word. It was, what, what do you think you are going to get, really?
0: <laughs> I mean, you are just underselling yourself. Like one thing that I realized as well is that your price kind of reflects the quality of what you're producing so if you undersell yourself you're basically saying what i do is cheap and rubbish
1: you're saying you don't value your own work yeah exactly
0: Yeah, yeah but like the perception i mean it's like to me it's the same as as when you go into a store and you know you see different products that are priced according to to brand and stuff mm-hmm. and the one price is higher than another like your immediate reaction is well the more expensive stuff is, is obviously higher quality that's not always the case yeah. but you know a lot of the times that that will be true because you know you're paying for that quality, you're paying yeah. for that brand or whatever. And, and, um, I feel that that's exactly the same with freelancing and, and marketing. It's, it's, it's
1: true. It's like, there's, I think there's a, and I don't know who cause I'm probably not as well read as I should be, but I think there's a whole, uh, paper or psychology thing written about, you know, the psychology of the perception of, you know, price versus value. And, you know, so you're right. You know, the instant thinking it costs more, therefore it's better, you know? Um,
0: That's really not the case. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) Anyway, let's bring it back to you. So um, obviously you mentioned the USA. Um, Mm -hmm. So you relocated to the USA a couple of weeks after September the 11th, which is crazy. Um, (laughs) Can you tell us more about kind of, the atmosphere in the airports at the time and in general in the U S when you were living there?
1: Yeah, Well, it was, you know, it was just such a, was a very unprecedented time. Not, not, um, I mean, obviously for completely different reasons at the minute. I mean, I think we're almost living in a a bit of an unprecedented, uh, I can't even say it unprecedented time now with the whole, you know, pandemic, you know, I didn't expect I would see that in my lifetime. So, um, <laughs> so obviously for different reasons, but back, back then it was very, yeah, very tense. I mean, Especially in the airports, I mean, tempers were running high, uh, emotions were running high. Uh, everybody was extra vigilant. Everyone was on high alert. I mean, I remember um, when I went um, to the states, uh, I went to pick up my ticket for the for the flight because it was back in the day where you book through a travel agent and you went and picked your ticket up. Good <laughs> yeah, good old days. Yeah, and, and I remember the um, the assistant at the travel agent's kind of kind of holding on to the ticket and sort of doing this little back and forth. Took with it with me and she's saying she's cautioning me saying you do understand that this ticket could be revoked at any time in case you know planes or whatever are needed for military purposes or whatever yeah it was really strange okay yeah <laughs> yeah, was, yeah it was very weird. she's but she but that's how it was they were like they could you know um put all commercial flights down and you know depending on what's needed you know basically saying if you know if we have a war or whatever you
0: know i think it might just be a usa thing as well because mm-hmm. you know i've flown around the world as well i've been to different customs yeah. as the, i suppose in england it's pretty strict too um yeah. but i'll never forget this when i went to the states back in 2014 i'd, I'd never been and um i think we'd arrived at lax mm-hmm. and um huge line for customs and wow. uh you know I thought, oh, maybe you know, got British passport, that will make a difference. No, it no. <laughs> doesn't matter where you're <laughs> from. Same, same for everyone. And there was a couple of really weird things that happened. Um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll start with with when I got to the actual gate. So, basically, I hand my uh, my ticket over and, and my passport, and the guy at the customs desk is just like, "Why are you here?" And I'm just yeah. like, uh, on holiday. Like, I'm just this nervous. 21-year-old right. wreck and I'm like uh, on holiday and he's like mm-hmm. and where will you be going and I'm like <laughs> um, uh, well first we're going to downtown Long Beach and mm-hmm. uh, and then he's like where else after that and I'm like <laughs> I-, I don't know um, probably Las Vegas maybe this place and he's just staring at me like mm-hmm. piercing like piercing eyes through me mm-hmm. and then just randomly he just goes okay go for it <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> The question and I think you know then even when was that 2014 you were still just a few years after September 11th, so everyone was still kind of on very high alert, you know I I kind of found it like now it's it's a little more relaxed than it was back then because it was just everybody was just As you can imagine and and for good reason, you know, everybody was just in in that extremely hyper vigilant mode Um, And it was a little scary, you know, it was a little scary to sit on a half-empty plane Uh, three weeks after september and i think probably the thing i was like when i I gave you the ticket story i think probably the reason for that was because uh, i was flying in and out uh, of boston at the time which of course is where all the planes were hijacked from so Ah, um going in and out of logan airport yeah so um i mean i think and it was only about maybe six months prior that i'd been on one of the planes going and i can't remember if i was flying in i think i'd flown into um Logan Airport and then taking a connecting flight somewhere else and the pilot's like and if you look out of the plane to your right you'll be able to see the top of the World Trade Center and I was like yeah it's just a building I'm not you know and then six months later who knew so yeah it was a quite a scary time you know um, and I had friends a lot of friends in, in uh, New York City that were you know quite deeply impacted by all that
0: yeah. so yeah it's again just on, on the level of, of like strict airport security i remember that's that same day i um bef- before that altercation at the gate i i never forget this because it was sort of surreal it was like it was like being in a movie seeing this it was like we're all standing in the line you know it's taking forever and someone i don't know why they decided this was a good idea but they decided to take a photo with flash photography okay and this uh really tall asian-american um Like security guard who was at one of the desks, literally like leaped. No, he sort of he shouted first. He goes, Right, who took the photo? Who took the photo? And then he just jumps over the desk Mm -hmm. and just goes, No one is going anywhere until they tell me who took the photo. And we're all just it's like being in school. You know, like when someone's done wrong and no one (laughs) says anything. Yeah, except like this is like really serious. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) And we're all just like, and luckily, right. wasn't
1: me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, luckily, um, we had a guard near us who kind of motioned to split some of us off. Right. So we were in the part of people that just got let through, and then everyone you were away
1: from the offending party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone
0: else was like, they were in under deep terror, interrogation, and this guy would Did just you? not drop it. Like, even no. though he made it clear why it's not okay to take photos, he was mm-hmm. still hounding until you would find that person.
1: Did he find them? <laughs>
0: I don't know cuz I was kind of <laughs> like too nervous to to look. I didn't want to, to make us that, suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> I was like Yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, that was, that was that was pretty crazy. Yeah, the,
1: the, the whole security thing, the customs thing, they don't they don't play about there. You know, I mean that's uh, you know, of course I had to go through the whole immigration process and all that good stuff. So it's you know, it's a lot of hoops to jump through and
0: did everything. they ask you any like weird questions? Anything they always,
1: yeah, they always do, a bit like you do that. Well, I think really it's just they sort of want to know why you're there and how long you're staying. Um, and they just want to know where you are. And I think really they just sort of want that that Point that you're going to be at in case you suddenly decide that you're not going to go back to your own country. So they kind of have a, ah, okay, a starting yeah. point to find you from. I think that's usually the the motivation for it. I think. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Of course, that's a flawed concept because you could just drive to another state without knowing. But it's
1: so vast. I mean, when I first went there, I couldn't, I think I flew from, I lived in Florida at first. I was in Florida for um, 10 years. Uh, And then I lived in Atlanta for the last seven that I was there. And uh, yeah, when I was first there and I was in Florida, I went to Colorado and I, I couldn't like being from England, you know, we fly two hours and we're in Spain, four yeah, hours, five yeah, hours. Yeah. We're in what Greece, Italy, Cyprus. Um, it was really hard for me to get it, you know, my head around that you could fly for four or five hours and you're still in the same country. You know,
0: I mean, it's so much more preferable than the alternative of doing the road trip. Like I, cause I'm a, I'm a big fan of professional wrestling. right? And I hear about Sorry. all this kind of travel that they have to do continuously, mm-hmm. obviously not now, but like before. And, um, yeah, sometimes they'd be, they'd be driving as long as like 13 hours or some yeah. craziness oh. like that. Like I remember- actually,
1: it's an odd, odd thing. They talk in terms of hours in the States. I don't know if you know that. If you kind of like hear if you say, you know, how far is it from uh, Manchester yeah, yeah, yeah. to London, they'll say, oh, it's like, I don't really know what it is, like 200 odd miles or something. Uh, over there, they'll say it's like, oh, it's like six hours, you know, the drive. They'll give you the drive time rather than the mileage.
0: That's the thing. Like, I I remember when we were there, my friend that I was traveling with was like, we have to get a convertible. We have to have a car. (laughs) And I understood, I didn't understand then, but as soon as we got there, I understood why. Like, if you don't have a car in America, you're screwed.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. and people anyway. from England do that I used to find that a lot like my family would come over and they're like well we'll just get the bus I'm like uh, no. <laughs> no, no, you're not. No, no no if you I mean you know big cities and stuff have have public transportation same as we do but unless you're in somewhere like Uh, You know, like New York or Chicago, where they've got like a good subway system. It's like, it's just not the same. But even then, though,
0: if you're in the major cities, it's like it's like being in London. It's just a nightmare because you've got so many people and it's so packed all the time. It's just you're better off just driving. Like Yeah maybe <laughs> oh, right,
1: it's yeah. not i'll just i don't love the, the whole subway thing either so i, I, I hear you yeah
0: <laughs> it just sounds like, like, i remember I, I when i was working in estonia i i had a, a friend who who was from new york or well, he'd lived in new york city and he was i remember he was just I walked into the room and he was talking to us another girl there who happened to live there at some point. And he's explaining New York City, and I've never yeah. been. And I'm like, that sounds just like London, but ten times worse. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty <laughs> much,
1: yeah. And it's so small. I mean, like Manhattan Island is so small; people don't realise yeah. how, how small it is, and it's so densely populated. You know, uh, it's, and it is a nightmare to get around sometimes. So, have you been since? Have you been to New York?
0: No, I haven't been anywhere. Haven't been. Uh, I, I've barely be. seen America. I've. Been to California, Las Vegas, and oddly,
1: I haven't. Vegas, yes, love Vegas, but California—all the time I spent in America—it's just like an oddity that I never set foot in California. Not, not even to take like a connecting flight or anything.
0: I suppose it's all the way across
1: to Hawaii. So you think I would have? But I ended up connecting in Seattle, and you know.
0: I suppose it's it's not necessarily like a big business hub as far as corporate's concerned because it's more like entertainment industry isn't it and and like tourism and stuff I mean I I imagine there's some business obviously you've got like Silicon Valley and stuff like that but like in terms of like you know uh, maybe like financial hub for example then that's going to be more I guess NYC and and Chicago Mm -hmm. and places like that Maybe so.
1: Yeah, I just I haven't really spent much time at all, or any time at all, in California. So it's nice. It's nice. I mean, yeah. it's pretty
0: crazy as well, but it's got some nice places too.
1: I, th- I think a lot of places in the states just are ah, in <laughs> generally a little bit crazy, you know.
0: I, yeah, there was a lot of weird stuff. I remember it was really weird, like going to a supermarket and seeing that they sold like you know ice cream and then guns and guns, then yeah. just like what <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, the, the,
1: the, you know the, and that's and that's a whole yeah different from england i mean that whole gun culture is definitely just completely you know alien to us i think we well, say like,
0: in some walmarts you could theoretically you could live in that yeah like, they oh, literally yeah, have nice. everything <laughs> you got they pharmacy have, beds tent, food like you know? everything you <laughs> it's crazy as it sounds you Guns, could yeah. actually and then like a lot of them are 24 hour like some of our um, yeah, tesco metro stores yeah that
1: was that was tough when i came back because it's that uh, you know we don't we don't cater quite so much to people you know so i found you know shops aren't open as long places aren't open as long and it's just like the general sort of day-to-day conveniences i think you know because i've only been back about two years now oh, wow. um, okay. and until and until coronavirus hit i was I was kind of back, but I wasn't back, if that makes sense. So I think year one, I was back. I was literally back and forth to the States, like five, six times for, you know, sometimes up to six weeks at a time. So, you know, it wasn't like I'd made this big transition because I was, you know, still going back and forth. And then even earlier this year, I just got back to England just before the whole lockdown thing happened. So I was over in, um, I'd been in Florida actually for about four or five weeks and got back just around the end of uh february and then of mm. course you know few weeks later we
0: hit the we hit the lockdown thing so it's a good point you make actually i mean i gotta say like i came back to england in let me see february mm-hmm. uh so it was kind of really close like i right. yeah, i was in too, london yeah. yeah like london for like a week and then came up to manchester had this stress of finding a place to live did that <laughs> and then all of this stuff happened and i'm like wow right. but as yeah. far as like adjusting because obviously i'd only been back to england like twice in those three years and it was only for mm-hmm. like a month at best right and um to, to get to the point like you know i was thinking it does take a t- some time to adjust and even mm-hmm. now like i i don't feel the same as i did living in no. it like I, it's nice and manchester's nice right. but it's like I think yeah when you've lived in other countries you do have this like newfound appreciation and feeling mm-hmm. as far as like when you come back to your homeland you kind of feel a right. bit like appreciative of some things missing mm-hmm. other things but yeah. like not like it takes some time to kind of get back into it like, does. In. It's,
1: well they say actually repatriating is harder than you know leaving in the first place and i can i can well believe it i mean i struggle very badly with certain things, of course. America I was in Florida, Atlanta, and Atlanta's amazing. I love living there, oh, I'd love to go there. Um, it's very cool. And I lived very much in the midtown area, right in the heart of the city, so everything was Wait, right
0: what, there. Which years did you live there? Because obviously, The Walking Dead's been filmed there for a long time, it, yes, it? it
1: has. Yeah, that was being filmed there while I was there, yeah. so, um, cool. so cool. <laughs> and I think they film a lot of that, uh, quite a way south of the city. Yeah. Um, I forget the name of the, the little town that they're it in now. It'll come to me, but it's, it's, mm. it's south of Atlanta by about an hour, an hour and a half, I think. Uh, but yeah, they've, and they do. And actually, the filming industry as a whole in Atlanta is is massive. It's, there's actually more movies made in Atlanta now than in Hollywood, I think. Oh, wow. Um, because they did some humongous... I don't, I guess some tax breaks or whatever is, you know, to try and attract, (laughs) well, to try and attract the movie industry um, into the city. And I think the last year, I haven't followed it for a couple of years, but I think the last year I looked, they said something like the movie industry had bought some ridiculous sum, like 900 billion into, you know, the state of Georgia.
0: This to me is another fascinating concept as well, because I've had a couple of American guests on the show previously. and, Mm -hmm. And I remember one of the guests I asked about this, like how every state, essentially is, is like it's almost like a little it's a different country right yeah in terms of like right. how it's run and like i remember him mm-hmm. saying that you know you've got like your federal so government um yeah legislation and, and guidelines mm-hmm. and stuff then you've got like state guidelines state and stuff mm-hmm. and then municipal yeah. which i guess would be like county like UK. county yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> and just like, there like yeah
1: yeah. And everyone varies, you know, it's like, you know, depending on which state you're living in, it depends what state tax you pay. Like in Florida there's none. In Atlanta it was, yeah. know, it was like seven percent or something, you know? Well so um, it's like so with
0: with with those guys, like because 'cause they're musicians, um, DMT for those who, who are mm-hmm. wondering. Um like they're they you know, obviously they do drugs and all of this stuff. And he said <laughs> that you, you have to like be really careful because like in one state you're fine and then you got yeah. drive just half an hour into that other state and like you're looking <laughs> at serious offenses
1: it's true yeah i knew uh, i watched there's some like good comedians and stuff i like a lot of stand-up comedy so i watch oh, cool. uh, quite a few american comedians and there's a guy he's pretty well known out there and he was i think he got arrested in florida for partying too hard and he's like i've been partying in florida he said i've been partying in florida for years i didn't even know they had laws <laughs> you know
0: <laughs> fancy that party law wow
1: yeah yeah he said i didn't even know they had any laws he's like how was i arrested <laughs>
0: <laughs> um how, let's just move it back to to the the job markets um mm-hmm. how does the u.s job market sort of compare with the uk job market now obviously they're going to be totally different but what do you think like the the key differences
1: Uh, I think just probably just the vastness of the country makes such a difference and you know corporations are huge so I think there's a lot I think you know I mean you all read these things about you like the American dream and and you sort of but when you go there um, and, and I mean this is really sort of from from my perspective but I got very much the impression that as long as you're prepared to work and put the effort in and, and, you know, you have to be a little bit smart with it and take your opportunities, but you can kind of basically just do or be anything you want to be because the opportunity is there. So I ended up Mm. in, uh, you know, the logistics and supply chain world. And as you said, I got, you know, I moved up through the ranks. I got quite high in the industry, um, to the point where I was the only female at my management level. And sometimes for a level or two below me, um, and I just, you know, it was quite a, it was quite a, a different state of affairs to what I expected when I, you know, was coming up through school and stuff. I didn't know what my career was going to be or, um, but I, I I will always maintain that I don't think I would have ever had the opportunities in England that I was afforded in America. I don't think I would have had the career that I had if I'd have remained in England. I just don't. Um, I don't think I would have been given the opportunity. So, uh, and now whether that's just because we're a smaller country, therefore everything is much more competitive, um, maybe that. It's hard to sort of put one sort of defining reason on it. If there is one reason, it could be multiple, I don't know. But uh, it, it just, that was always the impression I got, that I wouldn't have the same chances here as I had there, you know
0: as crazy as it sounds yeah i, I agree with you as well I, I remember one of the main reason i left the uk when i did was you know i'd finished my degree i did right. the degree to get into to marketing to have like a specialism something to get a job mm-hmm. basically right, right. um because i'd spent so many years in customer service before that and um <laughs> you know customer service is
1: always a delight isn't it <laughs> it's just don't, like don't the get word. me started I, just, okay, I mean i have the, i have i used to have customer service people that worked for me and i used to have the greatest admiration for them because it is just the, it's just awful you know people call up screaming at you and it's just
0: yeah you just <laughs> you just have to le- you like you just have to learn to, to deal with it and yeah. I, the, the funny thing was like before i did my degree the only really customer service i'd done was like supermarkets which i thought was yeah. bad enough and I, I had the luck of the draw because I worked at Waitrose. So oh, okay,
1: so you were, slightly, you were kind of on the high end of the supermarket. It's
0: slightly <laughs> nicer. It's, it's a bit like saying like, oh, you know, I, I had a less dirty patch rather <laughs> than the super dirty patch. You know what I mean? Like nothing yeah. against Waitrose. It was more to yeah. do with like the customers and, and what you kind of dealt right, with day, right. day. Uh, But that was only like two or three years um, before uni. And then I did, you know, so I took some time out, went to mm-hmm. uni at 21, you know, did it that way and um obviously inevitably i had to take work while i was at uni so i did all these jobs you know in um hospitality and stuff and that (laughs) was the real learning curve that was like wow i had it easy that that, that will
1: show you that will show you sides of human nature that you didn't (laughs) didn't
0: know oh man i could never dream of of talking to people that way i mean that's that's the biggest lesson i suppose
1: yeah yeah i just yeah i was always Sort of raised with the manners cost nothing thing, you know, and it's
0: yeah, yeah. But like you know, bringing it back to the job aspect, like um, obviously did that degree, couldn't find anything in London, and I was looking for like two or three months uh, whilst working, still working at that um hotel mm-hmm. after graduation, and at the, at the time I was dating a girl who's from Estonia, and and we sort of sat down and, and decided like maybe you have a shot at Estonia because we're just going to be yeah. stuck here. And it was only ever supposed to be like a temporary thing. And then we would come back to the UK. Right. right. And uh, you know, two or three months turned into three years. It just how it is. But I remember that <laughs> well, that's the thing. I remember thinking that I'm better off in that country because I'm actually getting work experience and jobs. And right. it's funny to me being back in the UK with like a degree, three years and running worth of experience. yet yeah, I can't find a job. And the main thing I'm being told is or you don't have enough experience, which I find <laughs> it's hilarious. It's like
1: the cover all excuse, I think. Like how
0: much do you need? Like, you know, it's Yeah. You know I think I think what you said was really important. This idea of like an oversaturated market. You know, mm-hmm. even if you are in a smaller country, obviously the UK is so much smaller than the US, so there's less competition. But mm-hmm. I mean you you've got we're rich in, in terms of immigration, so you're competing with people from all around the world. And right. also, yeah, just very good education here as well so it just you know what I mean like it 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 kind of I suppose it's good for us because we've been abroad our CV stands out a little bit more but if you're just standard went to you know university got the experience Mm -hmm. you're just another fish in the ocean really I mean
1: yeah yeah it's it's and it it is it's I used to think you know and I mean of course I I was much younger then but I used to think it was very very difficult to sort of just get your foot in the door in England, like almost like, you know, it just, maybe it was my perception. It just seemed that people were just not willing to sort of give you that opportunity. And then again, you know, being older and having worked in management and hiring, and if you've got a pool of well-qualified people, then I know it sounds awful, but why should you give that person a chance if you've got this yep. whole team of well-qualified people here and you know that they can do the job that you need them to do? And, it, you know, it's, it's quite difficult. Um,
0: I, I agree with you like because i see it two different ways i see it like from the business side and then from the kind of i don't know how to put it like no actually i know i only see it from the business side because the the only complaint i have um with companies right now in terms of their hiring is is one thing if someone just genuinely lacks all the experience or lacks it in some major areas then Mm -hmm. that's fine i mean a lot of the time i don't go for opportunities if like You know, there's something major missing, like, oh, we need you to be, you know, um, comfortable at graphics design or or programming or something. Obviously, I'm not going to go for that. Right. But if it's one where I've got, say, like 80% of what they need, and then it's like a tiny bit of stuff I need to work on, I'm Mm -hmm. like, well, Every company has resources for training, you know, you know, a lot of the time you're just learning on the job anyway, you have to learn their systems anyway, even if you do have what they need, every company uses different systems, different programs. So you've got to learn that. Um, but I think the, the bigger thing and this is what I take exception with is that, yeah, you can get someone that ticks all the boxes, but really it's about the attitude of the person. Um, you know, in terms of like what matters you need someone that yeah yeah, thinks the way that you think Mm -hmm. or can be molded or that you have chemistry with or or whatever i think that's why like you know that expression um that the supposedly you you know the employer in in the job interview kind of knows within 20 seconds if they're going to give you the job or not and i I think that that's not because i think a lot of people misconstrue that as like oh it's how you look but I think right. it's more like the way you yeah. carry yourself and, and your is. attitude and then that's what they're going to base it on.
1: I, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with that hundred percent. Like I said, I was involved with hiring people and I've, I've had a, you know, definitely more than one hire that I made where like my superior, and I had to justify that then they're like, why the hell did you hire that person? But <laughs> I, I would, because I would hire a lot of the time on, um, sort of attitude yeah. and sort of work ethic and, you know, because you can skills, you know, I mean, as long as they have the basic skills, you know, I mean, you have to be able to read and write and stuff, but um, as long as you have the basic skills, you you can teach sort of what's needed or people can learn, you know, if they've got a reasonable aptitude, but you, you, you cannot, you can't teach somebody to care. You can't teach a yeah. work ethic, you know, um, you can't teach that at all. So I would, I would hire that over and above you know the skills some people had a lot of the time, just because it's going to cause you less of a headache.
0: <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, also, just just on that on that um, trail of thought do you have any like horror stories as far as hiring is concerned any like um, crazy interview situations Anything no i don't think I,
1: oh I've, I've had like weird stuff because it's it's america so sometimes it's like there is such a broad sort of spectrum of people um and i think it's it's generally i mean i think if you go to an interview in england people will you know dress appropriately yeah, go yeah, to an interview yeah, yeah. and try and present themselves as, as best as they can. America it's a little bit different. You know, I've had people turn up like dragging three kids with them into <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And they're like, I can't get anyone to babysit my kids. I'm coming out to- you know, I've got to leave them here with you. You know, like, um no. You know
0: I see um, I got I'm caught in two minds about that because on one hand it's like I uh, can't really do that, but on the other hand, it's yeah. like, well, at least they turned up and they're making an at effort. At least they turned trying. up and they yeah. tried.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of yeah, it's just it's just a really strange thing to see, like you know, somebody drag their kids in, like, and tell the three kids to sit in the waiting room <laughs> waiting for them while they have this job interview. So, did, did you ever um, get
0: anyone that did anything like weird or or like maybe not weird, like? like really badly wrong or gave off like a bad Um,
1: impression or something no not that i can really i think it it usually goes the other way i think people talk themselves up like really really big Uh, and like you're trying to challenge them saying but you don't have experience of this or can you tell me and they're just doing this sort of talk thing and you're like no you don't really have a clue but um as far as like actual horror stories go i don't really have anything yeah i struggle
0: i struggle with the question of of like oh tell us about the weaknesses that you have because like right i i try to go in and like say things like oh you know maybe i'm too passionate with certain ideas right. and that can cloud my judgment or stuff like that and mm-hmm. then i'll try and put a spin on it and be like but you know i'm open-minded and i'm working right, on right. this and blah 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 but like i don't feel like there's any good answer you can give there to really that.
1: is and it, depending <laughs> on the interviewer i don't know if there's any real good answer i mean i've asked that question myself it can go either way sometimes sometimes people give this whole litany of like these weaknesses and you're like that's probably a little too much yeah. um <laughs> all oh, do like that and try and take a negative and turn it into a positive, which I do that myself. If I've been yeah. long time. Since I've been to an interview now, but I think I would, I would try and do that myself, but I just, it's, yeah, it is. It's one of those questions that there's never really a good answer and it probably depends on the interviewer too, as, as to how they're going to, to take the answer. It's answers. just a trap you know, though, yeah. isn't it? Cause like I've, I've
0: I'm a very honest person. So like, I would say it as it is, but then I quickly, re- so like, I'll say, yeah, like, uh, something like you know i'm not very good with maths and then i'll realize that i can't just say that so i have gotta like put something in there that makes it not as bad something like but you know um i've worked a lot with analytics and finance so you know Mm -hmm. i'm I'm pretty good with that and i've you know uh yeah
1: Yeah, it's hard not to stumble with that so yeah
0: (laughs) okay let's move it forward so um Obviously, we we understand that you know that there are major differences between the UK and the US job markets. Mm-hmm. But how does freelancing differ between both countries? Like what are the major differences there?
1: Um, I actually don't know if there's a lot of major differences. It's it's it's, it's just a similar um, it's just a similar arena, I think, in in both countries. I think I, you know doing having done some freelancing myself, I think we're sort of back to the same conversation that we were just having against you know the size of the country versus sort of opportunity. Um, I think and I haven't done a massive amount of freelancing here since I've got back to the UK and a lot of my clients that I and I still do a little bit. I have clients but they're more sort of international yeah. um, international based. Um, I think it's the same sort of thing as we we're saying about the job market. I think it's probably a little bit harder to break in, a little bit harder to kind of sort of get up above the crowd um mm-hmm. just just a little bit more competitive all around I think you know um in, in terms of I think there's maybe I think there's possibly more quality here I think there's probably a lot more people doing it in the states there's much higher numbers but I think we're sort of so concentrated that you've really got to be sort of good at what
0: you're doing you know okay okay and um I, I noticed that you're you're currently based in in Manchester is there any particular mm-hmm. reason that you decided to to base sort of things there or is that just um no
1: manchester was actually it was a a place that i always came to um when i was was actually brought up in in yorkshire Mm -hmm. um but i would spend a lot of time over here in in manchester when i came and it's just and actually before i moved to the to the states it was very much on the cards that i was going to move to manchester It was either going to be manchester or london and i had a lot of friends here in manchester so it was probably winning out uh, overall and then you know just you know fate had it that i ended up going to america and the rest as they say is history but that was it was just a place i spent a lot of time it's sort of you know a bit a bit of a northern girl i guess you know so uh you know northern city and that's just it just seems to be where i've landed since i've come back you know i've
0: got to say business wise i've have noticed since i've moved because i've never been here ever before this right. is new to me and um it does kind of feel like um i don't know can you say a competition to london it, it feels like it yeah an emerging second city do you know what I mean because obviously like but Birmingham technically is is the second city in terms of of um amount of people and stuff but I think that in terms of like your major hubs for activities Mm -hmm. or things going on it's people always talk about you know um Newcastle Manchester Liverpool and and such and obviously there's specific reasons for that but Manchester um Certainly visually as well, kind of appears Mm -hmm. now to be an emerging place in terms of all the different companies that are coming here and um, real estate developments here and stuff. It really does seem to be developing considerably. And one of the other interesting things I found is that there's like all these kind of traditional trade links between like Manchester and like St Petersburg and and, right. and and other countries and Wuhan for instance right right um, strange yeah <laughs> yeah yeah very strange but it, it's it's logical apparently it's twinned yeah. with with Wuhan and um that's yeah. the reason why Manchester's ahead of the curve on a lot of this stuff because they had the information early
1: yeah and i think i'm not sure i mean like i've only been back here about 18 months two years so it's difficult for me to kind of get a, a, a bead on it right now but it, it does seem that some of the investment is starting to push up north now um yes. out of London whereas at one time especially when I was younger everything was just very very much concentrated in in London as the capital but yeah uh,
0: I mean that's th- that, that's the interesting thing to me as well like particularly when you look at the news and stuff like I don't pay attention much to the news I just kind of like skim it just to keep hmm. on track of stuff and um, yeah you're right like all you'd ever hear about is like London um, and what's going on in London and the only right. stuff you'd hear about up north is like just like funny cutesy stories or like right. maybe if, if it's a particularly crazy winter you might hear about what's going on up north but you'd never really hear about yeah what's going on in the other cities and
1: yeah and is, pes- you know, and there's such that like divide you know between north and south it was always sort of looked at as very but I even found like since I'm <laughs> Since I've come back and I've driven around the country and I'll go down south, you know, then I'll I'll drive back up, you know, um, mm. up to say Manchester, and you get those road signs that say the North, and it almost sounds <laughs> cooking, even, on the, even on the road sign. You know?
0: It's funny as well because I don't know. For me, I, I find people up here really friendly. Um, yeah because one of the complaints i always had about living in london was people i mean it comes with the territories right well. i imagine it's it's like that in any place you go probably like yeah. moscow new york whatever Pe- people mm-hmm. don't have the time for pleasantries it's like get it, out of my way busy. there's yeah,
1: yeah. very much north south divide in the states that the south is seen as yeah. much more sort of friendly and hospitable whereas you know, like New York, people are sort of regarded as a little bit rude and vulgar. Having been to both, I can say that I found people in New York to be quite polite and friendly and helpful, but it's just a very different um, attitude, I think. Like, you know, I mean, people in the South will just wait for you, you know, like Mm. if you go and want to order food or a sandwich and you're sort of staring at a sandwich ball, they'll Wait there politely for you while you make a decision what you want to wait Whereas in New York, they'll say, Okay, I'll come back to you next. You know, that's so true. The South think that's yep. rude. You know? That's <laughs> so true.
0: Yeah, yeah, but they don't yeah, think
1: it's, yeah. yeah. So the people from the southern states perceive that as being rude and abrupt, but they don't think it's rude to hold up 30 people behind them in a, a queue, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah i mean again like i i've got good and bad experiences with london in in the same manner as well and I, do, I do think it does come down to time that's the key yeah
1: time people are busy you don't have the time yeah
0: yeah 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 absolutely uh, so let's move the conversation forward um you've also worked extensively as a business consultant how exactly do you help businesses in this role like what exactly is involved with business consultancy
1: it's just really sort of getting business on track, and a lot of that I think came from my um, logistics and supply chain uh, experience. Because mm-hmm. even though I was in that industry, really what it boiled down to was a lot of a lot of my job was to go into individual. Um, buildings or terminals that were perhaps struggling or not operating as they should, and then you know fix them in quotes, you know, save um, a dying,
0: sh- uh, sinking ship, safe, so to speak. Yeah,
1: exactly, save <laughs> a sinking ship. Um, so in terms of business consultancy, that's what I did um, with that to help businesses. And I also worked on sort of a if you have snooped my LinkedIn, you probably know this too. When I when I first came back here, I sort of partnered with a a local college as well and helped them to do do a lot of them. Um, they needed help with developing a whole logistics and supply chain um, training course, basically. Um, oh, wow, they, okay. had a, they have a whole facility set up that is diverted to, and it's across on the East Coast. Um, it, it's based around, there's a lot of sort of dock area around there, a lot of logistics, a lot of sort of import export, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So they've based this training facility there, and it was brand new, but very state-of-the-art, very, very cool facility that I went around, and I helped them... Um, put together their initial sort of offerings, if you like, for their logistics and supply chain uh, training uh, modules, oh. which, which was all very, you know, it's not just like a trip. it was all very, very much backed by, you know, the logistics uh, bodies and things here. So it was, the, it was the real deal. So that was kind of interesting. So yeah, I consulted with them for a good year or so on that. So that, that really took up most of my time in that, uh, that realm. Cool, cool, cool.
0: Uh, I'm going to take it on a bit of a, a more serious route here, but there's reasons by why, by why I'm asking. Okay. <laughs> so many people that have worked in corporate jobs, myself included, mm-hmm. have experienced, uh, unfortunately, some sort of toxicity, office politics in the uh, workplace. Um, what is your experience of this and how did you handle it?
1: Um, I think you just, yeah, I think you're right. You get it. Uh, I think you get it in any, any and every job. Um, yeah. I think you do, you know, and it, it, I always hate to kind of say this because it's, but it is a true fact as being a woman in a male dominated environment right. can be very difficult. And it, the old adage is true. You do have to work twice as hard, do twice as much. And I think sometimes um, it, it's, and I think that's difficult to understand sometimes if you're a, a you know, a guy in that industry, because you don't kind of have the same you don't kind of have the same prejudices coming your way, it's a little bit different. Um, but that's not to say that that's anybody's fault, particularly. You just kind of don't get it because a lot of the time, mean, you know, a lot of these businesses can kind of be a very male-oriented environment. So it's very mm-hmm. kind of a welcoming environment also almost for for guys. Um so you do have to work a little differently. You do have to work a little harder, a little smarter, but um everybody handles it in their own way. I actually had very, very good partnerships and very good business relationships with a lot of guys that I worked with closely, but maybe I was, you know, just very lucky. I had a very good team of people. Um, I had very good relationships with those people. Um, so I have to say, honestly, fortunately I didn't run into the whole, you know, the glass ceiling thing too much. I've, I've, you know, encountered it here and there, but it's, um, For me, I think I was quite lucky. I didn't get that too much, you know? And I don't know. I tend to think maybe people don't argue with me so much. (laughs) Well, I'm usually pretty good at what I'm doing. And um, the other thing is, is, is not, I think, you know, it's, I have quite a, Large physical presence as well. I mean, it's difficult to tell here because we're on, you know, we're sat down talking on video chat. But I'm I'm six foot two. You know. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I'm like really tall. So yeah. yeah. It, you know, people tend not to try, and mess it. it just <laughs> gives that little extra edge to <laughs> me.
0: Cool. Cool.
1: I guess, which I'm not intimidating at all. I'm I'm quite a friendly person, but uh, I think it just kind of and anything in that business, I think, can kind of give you an edge. You know?
0: Would you say it's gotten better over the years? Because you know, a lot a lot of the places. Yeah, I follow various things on LinkedIn, for instance, and you get yeah. like really inspiring messages about you know like female ceos and and female right. like women in in power and stuff and it's mm-hmm. really good uplifting stuff it's good to see and mm-hmm. you know I've, I've obviously seen examples of of um i guess sexism or mm-hmm. um it feels like a bit of a strong word because it's not always necessarily like uh straight sexism it can be more like kind of institutional sexism if right know. right yeah so it's like
1: yeah it could be systemic it, yeah it, yeah you know it's like the old adage, I mean, there's a lot, you know, we're talking a lot right now about things like, um, you know, the whole racism thing, black black and black matter and stuff like that. So, you know, again, having lived in the deep South in America, that's a very different thing. And it is, I don't want to say it's a similar thing. It's not, it's not similar at all, but just sort of to your point of saying things can be systemic. I've experienced things down there that I've kind of witnessed and gone, Oh my God. But yet the perpetrators of it, it, that sort of, way of being is so ingrained in them that they don't even realize that they're doing something that's completely inappropriate. Um, so that's, that's probably where the change has to start with a lot of those things. But uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think it's changed over the years. I think it's, there's more opportunities now for mm-hmm. women. Like you say, there's many more female CEOs and stuff like that. But I think uh, I think like me, probably most women in business will say they've experienced some some sexism or some sort of discrimination at the end of the day. It, it, and, and for me, um, I think sometimes it gets shouted down about it, but it kind of, you know, it goes with the turf a lot of the time, especially when you're the first person going in there, you have to change perception. You have to change yeah. uh, hearts and minds. And someone's got to do that, you know, and it's, uh, it's not always easy, but it, it is changing. I think it's changed for the better.
0: That's, that's kind of my hope with that really, because, mm-hmm. you know, um you hear a lot of stories about how things are changing and stuff but there's a big difference between you know what's been spoken about and then right. the reality and right, as you right. as you said like quite rightly you know you go to like obviously when I was in Estonia uh it's not to say Estonians are racist or anything but you do right. meet people that have uh you know interesting opinions and stuff and yeah, things yeah. and um I don't put, hold that against people because as you said, like a lot of the time, it's not even necessarily meant maliciously. It's just like upbringing, history, various yeah. different things. Yeah. Um, and you do have to like take these things into account. Um, but as far as like workplaces are concerned, you know, I mean, the ideal was obviously that things are just on merit. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and how mm-hmm. you work? Cause I mean, I've, I've had like female bosses, male bosses, bosses from all different, you know worked with people from all around the world i don't i don't really notice any difference either way to me it's just kind of like you know (laughs) is someone good or bad at their job that's what i care about yeah (laughs) i mean I've, i've had
1: people actually flat out come out to me and accuse me of being you know a certain way or a certain thing you know because you only hire this type of person or you hired this person over me so therefore that means you're you know insert insult here and a lot (laughs) of time it really wasn't that it's like i you know when you especially when you're a manager of somewhere you you care that that person can do the job or not You know, (laughs) yeah if they can do the job and do it well um it saves you an awful lot of headaches you know and that's and that's really all you're looking at um In that regard, you know, can someone do the tasks that are needed as set um, uh, and just the level that you need them doing to? Because it's they just need to do the job, you know. (laughs) Um,
0: This next question, I'm bringing it back to freelancing. I kind of already know the answer, or I feel that I I know, but I just wanted to ask anyway, just in case. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you think that, that having a university education is necessary in order to become a successful freelancer?
1: um no no i don't i think don't wrong, I, don't, I don't think education is ever wasted i i don't right. but um uh, well i'm saying i'll backtrack on that a little bit because i think it probably depends on what you want to freelance in um so that can come down very much to industry choice and there's definitely mm. certain industries or you know that, that you're going to need um uh, an education on or definitely at least some knowledge on but just for you know Regular sort of freelancing. I don't know what I would define regular freelancing. I know what you mean. I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah. not, I think you can, I think if you're, you know, reasonably savvy, you have a, you know, a good business knowledge, a, a good command of, of, english language or whatever you can probably make your way as a freelancer without a university education i think so therefore i think that probably opens up quite a lot of and it depends what you define freelancing as i mean some people that are you know uber drivers will describe themselves as freelancers and you can definitely do that without you know a college education and you can make money doing that you know (laughs) i don't know about here but i think you could in america
0: (laughs) it's an interesting thing to me and i think one of the reasons why i asked is because you know one of the things I realised straight away when I finished my degree was mm-hmm. that, uh, and this was before I was doing freelancing. But I kind of did the degree initially because I just couldn't find a job that wasn't customer service based, right. and um, I just wanted to move out of customer services. There's nothing against customer services, but like I just felt that there was, you know, a limit on my progression there and what mm-hmm. I could achieve, and you know, I wanted to just do stuff that used more of my mind and my creative yeah. stuff and. Um, so when I looked at the job market at the time, there wasn't any kind of schemes or anything or, mm-hmm. uh, apprenticeships, anything like that. It was non-existent. But then yeah. when I finished my degree, it suddenly became apparent that like, actually, uh, these internships, apprenticeships, um, schemes were now cropping up and they were the right. kind of majority and actually having a degree, didn't really matter either massively
1: different, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> I mean I feel like that's, I, that's
1: frustrating though when you've spent four years you know in education to come out and there's nothing there
0: but it's, um, it's like you said I mean I, I think it depends like because I've been thinking about doing either a podcast or a video on this soon and I think one of the major points are uh, that I feel about uni in terms of whether or not you go you should go or not Mm -hmm. ultimately comes down to your industry i mean you know if you're looking to become obviously like a doctor or lawyer something like that then it is necessary but in terms of business um i don't really think it is i mean you know when i did my degree in marketing (laughs) as soon as i actually started working in the field i had to learn everything from scratch right yeah everything i've learned I, mean, I think
1: you know universe is great now i would never yeah, yeah. it, it it's never wasted but i think it, it is very much a, a sort of theoretical you know and then when you when you come out into the job market and try and apply the theories that you've learned and put them into place i think you know you usually find it's a very different um a, a very different way of being very different from what you imagined it to be to what you were taught in the classroom you know
0: absolutely um moving it forward just kind of close on uh, freelancing in general because i know i've asked you quite a lot of questions no, no. about this but it <laughs> all makes sense soon <laughs> uh, what, what advice would you give to people considering going freelance
1: um get some money behind you number one um promote yourself as much as you can anyway Get enlist you know it, this all sounds a little bit sort of trite it's the sort of stuff you can read on any blog but it's it's true you know it's like you know enlist the help of any friends families promote yourself um you know make sure you know what you're selling you know be clear about what you're selling be clear about what your your talents and your skills are and and you know i have a marketing background too as you do so i'm i'm big on sort of marketing to that Yeah. Um, yeah. you know so it's so a play to your strengths i suppose um is the advice i'd give but uh, the advice i'd give anybody is the sort of if you're going to if you're going to quit the day job to go uh, freelancing, I would say just try and get just as much cash behind yourself as you can because it's, you know, having some money behind you is never going to make it harder, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, th- I think uh, with freelancing, a lot of the time it's about landing like big contracts or consistent, like building right. relationships. Consistent. Yeah, like I've, I've felt a lot lately that building those business relationships is, is kind of key. Cause you know, you can kind of have, you know, like for instance, when, when I worked in um, this finance company um, there were some people we worked with who were freelancers who'd been mm-hmm. freelancing and working with that company for like five years. So right. you can have like long-term partnerships. And I think a lot of the yeah. time it's, it's good in terms of like not having to have a contract or mm-hmm. um, you know, like your agreement is like kept very simple. So it's, you know, right. it's, uh, and it can be like, rescinded at any point kind of
1: things. And and to your point earlier, I think maybe because of the pandemic, it's brought things forward a little bit, but I tended to think that industry needed to change a little bit, um, probably a little bit sooner than it has. And I think this has sort of brought it to the fore. So more people are looking at freelancing and and remote working as a, because I think we are starting to shift more and to understand that, you know, people can operate much more on that results-based premise rather than you punch the clock at eight o'clock and you punch it again to leave at five o'clock and just sit behind a desk for the full time you know um so i think it's definitely shifting
0: it kind of i know i said it before but it kind of blows my mind how people don't see how inefficient that model is
1: is, (laughs) so inefficient you know even in my career i knew that was inefficient you know
0: (laughs) anyway we've got we finally got to the moment we're going to ask you about your company gig leads. Now, the reason that I asked you so many questions and built up this picture (laughs) was to kind of, I wanted to get behind the person who runs the company and and kind of give people an idea of of you and your background. So it would make sense as the the kind of like the, uh, I suppose, journey to to the creation Mm -hmm. of this company. Now, as you said before, you've started this company about two months ago. Now, this is just my understanding. I could be wrong on this, but is it sort of like a database style website that collects leads, from other like job websites puts them into one place for you and then you've kind of got access to lots of different leads in one place it saves that's that's fun.
1: yeah that's absolutely correct with yeah just uh, there's a couple of extra things that go into that okay, but yeah cool, you're cool. absolutely correct yeah that's very much what it is
0: so, so so what else kind of uh that i missed goes into this process um, there's, a,
1: there's a few other things so you know the whole premise of gig leads why i stand it was i was as you, you know, as you covered, I've done the freelancing world myself, and I fe- felt that I spent an awful lot of time sort of hunting and pecking and searching different job sites and searching different areas to yeah. try and, like, like, as you mentioned, to get that um, sort of consistency of clients, that consistency of work. So um, so this is why I've put together gig leads to try and just get everything all into one place to make it. So, so it is... Um, it's probably easy to say it's a job site, but in some ways it's a productivity tool as well. Yeah. Um, the whole the whole essence of Gig leads is to try and be a time-saving uh, tool for freelancers. So they can just go to this as a, a one-stop shop almost. Um, and we've got some, and there's a little, a couple of additions to that. And I think unlike um, some other sites, we've got some freelancer pages as well. Yeah. Um, and it's very much sort of geared towards the UK at the moment. Um, right whether that will spread out a little more into Europe that's that's all sort of you know in discussion at the moment we'll see but um Mm -hmm. it's very much targeted to UK freelancers because what I saw was there wasn't an awful lot that everyone seems to focus on America or everything seems to get sort of deluged by the freelancers that come from sort of further over into Europe, India, or whatever. So I'm like, well, where's the the British people? Because I know there's loads of us here. There's loads of us doing the freelancing stuff. So so that's why I put it together. And you're absolutely right, is to aggregate jobs from basically as many websites as we can find and put them sort of as a repository in one place for people to then um, apply to and save time.
0: Yeah, because I was going to say, like, when I saw your service, like, the, the first thing that I kind of looked at was, okay, this reminds me of, of say, like, freelancer.com, TrueLancer, yeah. those kind of websites. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, what would you say are the major differences between your service versus those more sort of well-known existing competitors?
1: Yeah, well, I think a lot of those services, um, they, take, they tend to be a, a based on a commission uh, okay. a commission basis, yep. a lot of them. So, you know, you do a certain amount of work and they're going to take a percentage of it. Although Gig Leads is a paid service, we don't dig into your actual work and we try and keep the, the fees for the services quite low, you know, it's not uh, it's not a highly expensive service we hope and nobody thinks for the time that you're saving you know you're talking like two or three quid a week to have everything aggregated in one place so you can then access it easily and once once you do that you're applying to jobs then it's we kind of step out it's completely between you to negotiate with client on rate and all the rest of it and we're not you know we don't do anything where we take um i think some sites operate on a bidding fee um, yeah. platform. yeah which you know you're paying to bid on a job it's that, and i think i won't mention names but there's one i looked at um, a one. years ago and they were like by the time you did the math it was it was costing you like 35 quid sometimes to bid on a job and it's like nobody can afford that if you don't get the job at the end of it you know and, and plus as well I think we probably targeted a bit little as well to the the newer freelancers coming in because it's yeah. so hard to get to get in and to get your foot on the ladder so yeah, that,
0: that company you're talking because I remember looking into this myself and I kind of eventually I just decided I'm just going to chase my own leads because why right. would you like I, what I understood was okay. I can sign up. Okay, I've got all of this stuff done now. Uh huh. Right. Uh-huh, and then I realized, wait, wait, you have to pay. To pay get on the job? What, what do you mean? Yeah. I'm trying to make yeah. money, not lose money. And actually, I can't
1: remember if they kind of double dip and take a commission as well. I, I, I can't oh, well, remember that really part. Tricky. But uh, and if they do, I'm not. Uh, but, you know, the, but then there's other companies that do. I mean, I've, I've worked with companies like um, that take a commission, and some really aren't bad uh, yeah. once you get past a certain... Earning level, they'll take maybe ten percent, and I'm like, you know what, ten percent to put my money in escrow and protected. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna argue about that. But yet, they are still taking a percentage of of that wage, which you know. And if you've got a, a big job, that can add up to quite a substantial chunk out of your earnings. So that's that's why we base this is basically a membership subscription site rather than that commission based. Um, payment
0: you know yeah let's talk a little bit about that actually you've got three different membership plans you've got Mm -hmm. what i can see as a monthly a yearly and a six month plan i -hmm. did kind of want to ask you uh, because i think they're reasonably priced based on what you're offering i think that's that's pretty reasonable especially the fact that you said that um there isn't a commission fee because i to my knowledge i don't think any other companies are doing that i think they all charge some degree of a commission um, usually pretty high <laughs>
1: and that'll and that'll stand as we hopefully as we we go forward and we grow at the minute as you say we are aggregating a lot of jobs from different websites but um, the, you know we're talking to quite a few people now uh, we're gonna have the ability for people to go on you know if you wanted to hire let's say you wanted to hire a, a writer or something you can yeah, go on yeah. post a job on there uh, freelancers can apply to it um, we haven't got massive amounts of people doing that, but that, that will grow. That's something we're targeting. And as that grows, we're going to keep the same. um, We're going to keep the exact same payment methods. It's not, again, we're not looking to take commissions from people, you know?
0: Yeah. So to clarify that last point, you're basically saying that um, this is a website, both for freelancers looking for work and also Mm -hmm. companies or individuals looking to get the services of freelancers. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Do you have any plans? And I'm sorry if I got this wrong, but I just want to double check this. Do you have any plans to sort of uh, introduce a sort of a free trial for users who might sort of want to test out your services before they commit straight away?
1: Um, We did that initially, but for some reason that just doesn't seem to work very well. So what we do is on the first month is we give the 50% discount.
0: Ah, so okay, okay. it's yeah
1: so you sign up there's a code on there you can put in it's it's right there when you go to the sign up page you get the first month at 50 percent at off so it's it's basically going to cost you a fiver to sign up and to see what it's all about
0: I was gonna say because for the monthly one it's it's currently 10 pounds a month isn't it so that's for right. that first month it would just be five so for the
1: first month you can get it for five pounds yeah <laughs> that's
0: <laughs> excellent.
1: and actually the reason we did that was to get some commitment from Freelancers on the other side, um, and it was almost just like a psychological thing, like we're talking about, because uh, we were running into problems where we'd give a month free, uh, and then when the billing started, we're starting to get all these nasty emails about, Hey, you took our money without, no, we didn't, <laughs> we put your <laughs> but you know, yeah. so we wanted to avoid that, um, yeah, and, you know, and of course, yeah, so
0: <laughs> this business seems logical in terms of bringing in. Um, sort of ongoing, an ongoing revenue stream, uh, Mm -hmm. since freelancers are always kind of looking for new projects, but are there any other kind of key factors, um, behind your decision to target freelancers with this particular business model?
1: Um, probably just because I've worked in the industry myself, and I know how difficult it is to keep that that stream of, uh, you know, the revenue going, of clients going, and I, I figured it's sort of, a, it's a way for freelancers to get in to apply for multiple jobs. They can gain a little bit of exposure by, um, I don't know if you looked at the, the profile pages there. Much yeah, I do. Freelancer search at, page. Yeah, yeah that, you know, people can go on, they can add their profile, they can add their social media links, they can mm. put some examples of, of past work. So, you know, anybody seeking freelancers or freelancer services can sort of browse, um, They they can even browse by city. Um, yep. You can just zoom in on the map and kind of click on the freelancers that are signed up and contact them directly if they want. And there's, there's, no, you know, there's no additional charge for that. That's just something that's a straight communication between client and freelancer that we, we don't get involved in. Um, so I think that's, that's a nice little addition for, you know, again, newer
0: freelancers to gain a little more exposure. Um, what are the biggest kind of challenges that you've faced with building this company? Like I, I understand, obviously it's still early days and stuff, Very, but yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it is a startup and there are always kind of challenges with starting up a uh, startup, usually in the cost area of like building up funds and yeah, stuff to make it happen. But since you're fully um, based online, that kind of enables you to circumvent various costs and stuff. Right. So, yeah, well, what are the biggest uh, challenges that you've faced so far?
1: Um, I think the biggest challenge is probably just on a technical level is just getting right. everything work the way, you know, the way you want it to. And I'm a probably a bit of a perfectionist. I'm constantly like going in and tweaking something else, but we're sort of, we're sort of testing some of the things that, you know, we're hoping will be uh, very useful to freelancers. Um, we're just in the process now of testing the daily email alerts which you know doesn't sound like a huge thing but it's another time-saving thing like instead of even actually going to the gig lead site the email will drop in your inbox every day with all the latest jobs listed there for you that you can then just click on and apply to so that's that's you know even more time saving than just as aggregating the jobs in the first place you know
0: that that one's a game changer actually I, i i used to use this particular service i think it might have been american-based i can't remember but it right. was offering a similar thing mm-hmm. and uh, i remember thinking like this is perfect it has all the links in there you yep. can click them yep. and then i don't yep. have to then check like say five different websites i can just right. have it sent to me so that's- exactly <laughs> that.
1: and, that's the idea. and i think and i think actually i probably know the site you're talking about and it's it's a little ironic um because i built gig leads um and, and so backtrack again uh, about five or six years ago when i first went freelancing um because logistics and supply chain was my background and i've done some recruitment uh and there's a massive um shortage uh in the logistics and supply chain industry of good talent you know drivers all the way through to warehouse people all the way through to managers and i built this exact website but for the logistics industry Um, so i've basically taken that model now and i've used it for the freelance industry and then yeah turned around and saw the site that i think you're talking about and went Almost looks the same, but uh, yeah, I promise you it wasn't perched off of him. It was was a model. It was, and actually in some ways I'm kicking myself because it's a model, as I say, I used about five years ago for for logistics, supply chain uh, recruitment, basically. Um, And now it's working so well for freelancers, part of me sort of kicking myself going, why didn't I set this up like three or four years ago? But yeah you live and learn that's that's part of your process of going on your own you're constantly sort of changing and evolving and learning new things
0: you know i I think things happen at the right time don't they They i mean i thought about that as well like oh why didn't i do freelancing from an earlier age why didn't do this why didn't didn't i do podcasting earlier you know i think that you do need to go through certain things in life to kind of I Get think you do. Stage. I think
1: every every step leads you to the next step, um, and you learn all the things that you need to learn along the way. And eventually, it's sort of if you if you're fortunate, it all sort of comes to fruition in one right, yeah. major uh, aspect, you know, one major area.
0: Yeah. What would you say have been your sort of biggest successes so far with this uh, particular company?
1: Um, so early days so that's yeah i a know sorry to to yeah so so we launched um and actually in terms of challenges i'll just go back to that a second if i can yeah, yeah, yeah. go for it go for it's it. it's kind of funny I, I sort of put this together and i was really more or less just sort of testing the market to see if there'd be a market to this so i've i built site out and i just sort of built it there it was i would just sort of built it on i think some like domain i had kicking around and then it took off really well so i went oh there's a market for this so i instantly after about a month had to turn around and rebrand the whole thing to oh, no. gig Leads. <laughs> so you know i mean you know we all make mistakes <laughs> but you know you learn from those and uh, you know so i i wanted to change the name change it into gig leads because it just seemed much more reflective of, of what it you know what it was about what the company was about what we were trying to do it's a good name yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, it gets the point across and, uh, you know, hopefully it's useful for people, but, uh, in terms of successes, um, i seen some good success already. I think it is, you okay. know, we're, it's definitely had, it's got people's interest. It's got people signing up. Um, I'm doing podcasts with people now, like you mentioned, you're my first one. I've got a couple more lined up. I've been approached, um, by someone that does quite a large, um, online seminar, uh, oh, fantastic! lot sort of things that wants me to come on basically like as a keynote speaker um that's
0: a but great I think, opportunity i
1: think the biggest success that i've got up my sleeve at the moment and it hasn't come to fruition yet so um i'm not going to mention the name of a co- the company that's
0: fine yeah, yeah i get that but it
1: is it is another startup that i've had a few conversations with and basically that would add um a payment processing engine to this site that is specifically for freelancers.
0: Um, Synergy. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah,
1: which, you know, if, if this all transpires the way I would like it to, it would basically give them the freelancer the whole one-stop shop. They can negotiate directly right, with clients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they can choose to use the, the, the payment processing tool or not. That's something that will be a third party from me. I don't own it. It will be a separate mm, mm-hmm. thing. Um, obviously, then for their service, there would be... Yeah. A, a small charge to freelancers for using it but it basically protects their money um, basically protects their earnings and it's not um i think we've we've had some discussions about what's being charged for that and you you're in the you know 2 3% area it's mm. you no know, more than say like a PayPal commission or something like that so i'm hoping fingers crossed that that all yeah fingers crossed that that all all works out the way i would like it to because then that to me that sort of adds like the last element to that whole site you know
0: and uh to sort of draw things to a close on on the geeks leads what are your main kind of goals and aspirations for this business
1: um main goals and aspirations i'd like to grow it so you know it's just very much known yeah Yeah, you know household name almost for for um independent freelancers in in the uk and i think i'm quite proud of it being uk based even though i have spent so much time in america it's nice to sort of come back and do something for you know for, for the people of my own country i suppose um i'd just like it to go on and and see it change and evolve the way it has so quickly already it's been really exciting um but i'd like to just you know i mean i don't want to i think it's not it's not something where i'm going hey i want to grow it in some like massive corporation but i'd definitely like it to be a go-to tool for for many freelancers and, and hopefully they found value in that um
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, just to draw things all to a close today, uh, my final question for you is, do you have any kind of upcoming projects, events, or maybe just some final thoughts that you'd like to share with us?
1: Um, upcoming projects, just the ones we've mentioned. I think there's going to be probably quite a few more upcoming podcasts, probably some, uh, some more seminars. And I, I can imagine that, um, again, this, this whole payment processing element mm-hmm. that we'd like to add to the site, I think if that... Uh, if that goes ahead, that's probably going to take up quite a lot of my time <laughs> in the coming months. But uh, hopefully, it's all for the good.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, I'll, I'll have my fingers crossed for you. Um, I yeah, think this is you. a very promising business, and um, particularly when it when it comes to the the setup of of the membership plans and and what you're mm. sort of discussing there. That's not something I've seen. Uh, as a common thing with within the freelancing sort of community so it's Mm -hmm. it's good and and particularly for the UK market I think especially with what we spoke about earlier about how things are changing and and where things are headed I think this is uh, an excellent time to be setting up something like this so I wish you all of the best with this with this business I'm sure it's going to work out and um, hopefully this podcast will do something for you and the rest that of the
1: would course. be great if it does. <laughs> and I, I very much appreciate you having me uh, on your show. It's been great.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for appearing. It's, it's been a real pleasure. And um, I just want to say to all of my listeners, um, yeah, you know, obviously if you're freelancing, make sure to go check out Gig Leads and set yourself up a profile there. It seems really cheap to start up. So it's, it's an opportune moment to get that started and get yourself some more work. And um, also for any startup businesses, any guests that would like to appear on the show in the future please get in touch i would love to have you on the show i'd love to get to know you get to know your business or you know whatever you have to promote or want to talk about get in touch with me i would love to have you on the show i do hope everyone is enjoying the podcast and enjoying all these different things i'm trying with it right now i'm trying to make it as varied as i can But, um, you know, invariably, it's going to keep moving forward and keep growing. And uh, it's very exciting. So thank you very much for listening, subscribing to the podcast, supporting the podcast. I really appreciate it. And until next time, peace out. I'll see you in the next one.